you're looking for one of the most beautiful and playable custom acoustics on the planet, look no further than Ed Rice at Toeir Guitars. Ed is a true artist, transforming exotic woods into magnificent, sweet-sounding instruments. Go to toeirguitars.us, that's T-O-I-R-G-U-I-T-A-R-S.us, and contact Ed today. Hey everybody, Brad and I want to say thank you for listening and thank you for the support. Please continue to listen and share this podcast on all platforms that you can. And if you'd like to support us monthly, we're set up now where you can go to anchor.fm slash Recording, hit the support button, 99 cents, $4.99 or $9.99 per month. Any amount would be greatly appreciated. Now back to the podcast. podcast episode 121 what's going on neil what's up man yeah i played my first round of golf for a little while today i hear you you're already yeah. bragging about it before we started this <laughs> shit <laughs> you, you were quick to tell me your score i was like oh it must have been a good yeah. day yeah i mean if, if if bragging about a 93 is good but in this I'm, room it is i'm happy under 100 it. yeah you uh Definitely look like you got a little tan today. Oh, yeah. I burnt the head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just said you got a little tan today, man. <laughs> well, man, we got a great guest with us tonight. We've got oh, Zeno yeah. Jones. Welcome, Zeno. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. And man, you brought us a special looking bottle of bourbon that I have definitely not seen before. Yeah, Ooh. I don't think anyone's seen it outside of my immediate family. That's um, awesome. My dad got into blending. I think it was a couple of years ago. And he likes to give everybody... Unique, gift, uh, unique gifts and he likes to make stuff and everything. So he looked up, I don't know the, the what the recipe is, the blend, but that's a, his own blend. It's Jones blend and he's made his own labels and everything like that. But it has, a, I think, a pretty good taste. And uh, so did, I, th- I thought you guys would find it interesting. Did he just like purchase bottles that he likes and just kind of play with proportions or do you even know? I think that's what he did. Yeah. You know, he didn't distill it himself. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's blending pre- pre-made stuff, but he kind of looked up profiles on it and kind of got into it and said what would go good with others. So, But um, you have no idea what's in it? Oh, he won't tell us. Oh, okay. It's a secret. It's huh? a secret. Yeah, it's a secret <laughs> blend. What's your dad's name? Uh, my dad's name is Jeff. I was going to say, right. it's, uh, it's uh, Master Distiller Jeffrey Jones, which you can call Jeffrey him. Jeffrey Jones. <laughs> That's what it says on the back of this label. Well, thanks, Jeff. And cheers. <laughs> cheers. Cheers, guys. I'm cheers. excited cheers, to try this, man. Oh, yeah. That's, That's nice. smooth. Yeah. It's Good. smooth and the burn comes in on the back end, which yeah. is where I want it to be. So That's, I oh, like here that. it comes. <laughs> Yours more delayed than mine. Nice job, Dude. Blender Jeffrey Jones. Jeff. <laughs> Man, you would you like to be a podcast sponsor with your bourbon? <laughs> no, this is really excellent. I don't know how many of those there are. I'm <laughs> telling you, man, it's really good. That was just one year. One year's Christmas gifts or something. Small was it Christmas? Batch. Yeah, yeah, Christmas. Yeah. That's what, cool. a, what a cool idea, man. Yeah, it is. Let me it, see it. Number one, yeah. I, I find like the older I get, the harder it is. And the older everybody around me gets, the harder it is to, to buy gifts mm-hmm. for them. You know, I got kids that are older. They they kind of just tell you what you want. But I couldn't imagine uh, still trying to figure out what to buy my parents. It's always bourbon. Mm-hmm. And I mean, my dad's birthday was a few days ago. And I got him bourbon. Uh-huh. It would be so much cooler just to be like, hey, I, have, I made this I bourbon. Made it, yeah. and, and I'm going to give it to you. That's oh, we, we got to awesome. read this. We got to. <laughs> All right, go ahead. All right, I'm having trouble seeing it, but... In the finest Kentucky tradition, master distiller Jeffrey Jones, using his decades of tasting experience, has personally selected three of the finest premium Kentucky straight bourbon whiskeys and then hand-blended them to create this unique small batch offering. Unlike any other available, this bourbon offers a special marriage of taste, aroma, and sophistication. Brash and bold, yet smooth and balanced. Did he write that? I think, yeah, he had a lot of fun with that. Hey, man, he's, he's a... <laughs> decades of tasting experience is my favorite line. Uh, yeah, of that. I do. That's a kind of, I'm just, just thinking, you, I might have decades. You know what you can tell about Zeno's dad? He's read a lot of bourbon vials. Oh, dude, he knows. Because <laughs> that sounds like it's been written by like a, a advertising specialist. Or oh, he, yeah. he could just send that to an advertising and be like, I could do this for you. Yeah, exactly. Let me be your ad rep. 
So this is the third edition of J.S. Jones. Yeah, I don't know how many. I guess he went through two iterations that weren't ready to be released to the family. Uh-huh. It's been aged for eight years. So we know it's an eight-year mix, eight-year bourbon. So that kind of narrows it down. Just, that helps, man. You want to try to guess? No, nah, right. that might take too long. It'd be a whole <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah, dude. Well done. Hey, I, can, I, I, can, I, would, gotta, I would say there's some Willet in here. Willet? What do you think? Well, what I was honestly going to say is I was expecting this to be really shitty bourbon. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was honestly expecting. I saw, I mean, he's like, all right, cool, man. All right, yeah, yeah. So I made his own bourbon. This is going to be shit. We're going to be feeling like dog crap tomorrow. This is going to be rot gut. And yeah. it is not at all. Well, I'm glad to hear it. No, yeah. it was going to be like. The reason I say it's got, a, it, it's got like, a, seems like a high rye. It's got, content. man, it's good. It's good. I like it. You like high rye bourbons. I'm glad you know that because I don't know. Uh, I like we. Uh, I do like rye. Yeah, someone can yeah. tell me all the p- profiles I like, and that's bad. I don't know. Uh, yeah. this, is, this one's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm definitely that dude. So you're gonna have to ask him and tell him he's got to tell you the truth if there's any Willet in it. Okay. Because I'm gonna say there's some Willet in it. All right. But that's my only guess. I'm not gonna guess beyond that. Okay. And I'm probably <laughs> I'm probably wrong. He's gonna be like, dude, you're so far. I would I would love it if he either said, no, it's a bunch of cheap stuff that blend together, tastes good, or if he's just like, well, I'm not telling you. That's my secret. <laughs> well, I'm not giving it up. Here's my secret. I buy it after it's two-year bourbon, and I just keep it for six years. <laughs> and now it's eight-year bourbon. <laughs> All right. Well, Zeno, let's get going on this podcast here. Right. We're going we're gonna to ask you to take us back to childhood and tell us about your early memories of music. And then, like, at what point did you realize music was going to be a big part of your life? Okay. Um, going back, you know, I've started listening to your podcast about six months back, and I hear all these uh, from then I start hearing all these stories of everybody there's like oh you know my dad sang Al Green to me while I fell asleep or I woke up in the morning and <laughs> so mom was making breakfast and Towns Van Zandt was on or something like you know, like that and it's like music wasn't really that big of a deal to us growing up it's not like it it's not like it wasn't allowed or anything like that it's just one, yeah. something we focused on it's um, the devil's music boy no. <laughs> <laughs> no we no it just wasn't really a thing and I and I had these encounters with it every once in a while so like I played trumpet in middle school but never really got super into it um, Who does? I mean, it's the trumpet. Come on. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. They're well, so actually, amazing. Trumpet. Actually, I'm actually, I liked kidding. jazz band. Trumpet's fun, man. I know you used to play it. That's <laughs> kind of why I had to do it. It was a little... <laughs> I really I really liked jazz band, but then to move on to play in high school, you had to do marching band. I was like, I'm out. I'm not doing that. Oh, uh, was it a, a must? Yeah, you had to. Uh, was it yeah. the uniforms? It was the time. It was everything. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. The uniforms oh. is responsible for two things uh, uh, in high school of people going away from. Number one, marching band. They go, no, I can't do that. I don't want to wear those <laughs> uniforms and those hats. Number two, male swimmers. <laughs> They're like, you know what? What about wrestling? Wrestling singlets. Three. I actually, I actually was. I actually swam when I was in high school, so I traded one uniform for the other. Oh my gosh, you were like you were like the risky dude. You're like, what? What do you want? Oh, you didn't do the marching. Okay, yeah, you're yeah. right. You're right. Well, I got a quick swimming story. If we can interrupt, sure. you know, we do that sometimes. Sure, <laughs> sometimes we haven't talked about anything yet. <laughs> So I took swimming. You know how you have, in college you have to have like two physical ed classes or something. So I took swimming, mm-hmm. and they had beginning swimming or advanced swimming. And I thought, well, I don't know how to swim. Oh boy! <laughs> so I took advanced <laughs> swimming. And the very first day of class, it was the entire swim team in their swimming u- uniforms. Yeah. And me and one other dude in in the big long jams. Yeah. About this big. <laughs> And a guy came over and uh, he was, actually the teacher was a swim coach. And he came over and said, you boys uh, ever done any swimming before? I said, yeah, I've been swimming my whole life. He said, <laughs> he said Haven't drowned yet. For who? And I said, uh, what? You know, I don't know what he's talking about. But anyway, make a long story short, he just said, well, you guys come to class every day and try and you'll have an A. So I went to class every day and the girls swim team smoked me by a full Olympic pool's length in every race. I mean, I'd be splashing and yeah. thrashing, and they just come gliding by. <laughs> well, to make a short story longer, you spent an awful lot of time making fun of me not making it in college. But if I had swimming, I might have made a grade, at least one grade. <laughs> All I had to do was go swimming. All right. Yeah. Back to the regularly Sorry scheduled that, program. Zeno, let's, get back on, let's get back on track. Um, but yeah, I would have these interactions with music growing up. And like, I had a friend across the street who they, him and his buddy, um, we're playing music, kind of doing like, you know, like 
YouTube rockers like in their bedrooms just kind of playing with themselves, recording little things. They were called the Horny Toads. They were great. <laughs> they would have been famous if it was uh, 10 years later and YouTube was rocking at that time. Oh, yeah. But um, I would go over there and just kind of I'd help them record and stuff. I was kind of interested, but and I had a guitar at that time, but only knew like three chords. It wasn't until I went to college that, and my buddy gave me his um, his packet of CDs. He's like, dude, you need to listen to more music. So he gave me all of his CDs at one point, and I just started listening to all of it. And that was like, I was like 19 turning 20 about is when I started really getting into it and then started really playing a uh, guitar. That's kind of when I really, when it really took off. But up so what was, in, what was in that CD collection? Um, a lot of old stuff, uh, like classic rock type stuff in that era, 60s. Um, but I really stuck onto the Bob Dylan. I ate that up. Um, a little bit of the Neil Young. But I mean, that was kind of my Bob Dylan year for sure. And it just kind of really helped me um, kind of understand, you know, I used to not like live takes of anything. And um, Bob Dylan was the first thing that was kind of, I don't want to, it, it was difficult to listen to at first. If you aren't accustomed to Bob Dylan's voice, let people say he has a terrible voice and he might, but I think he's a great singer. Over time, you kind of learn that. Um, mm -hmm. And then that kind of, for some reason, that's kind of tripped something in my brain where I'm like, okay, kind of opened up and like if something is not um, instantly palatable, I can still listen to it and kind of get that acquired taste to it over time. And um, that kind of expanded that for a lot for me. Hmm. Start learning Bob Dylan songs? Uh, no. Guitar no, not really. I don't really have patience to learn very many songs. I kind of start to learn a little bit like part of a riff of something and then I just go off on my own usually. <laughs> so, it's hard for me to learn a song. Oh, If you're a Bob Dylan guy, Especially early on, I would assume you're a lyrics first listener. Um, I can't if if it's in that type of situation. I mean, I kind of switch it back and forth. At least that age, on. maybe. Mm -hmm. What was it that would uh, really draw you towards Bob Dylan at that age? Um, part of it was, what is he talking about a lot of the time? And everyone would say, okay, he's really oh man, it's very deep, it's very meaningful. And I'm just like, I don't know what this guy's talking about. And he would just put these kind of layers of metaphor on top of metaphor and kind of drive it home. And then basically it's, it meant something to him, you could tell, but it also could mean what it you needed it mm -hmm. to. You know, of course, when it was a, like an early songs, when it was protest, it was very clear about what it was about. But yeah. when he got into like Blonde on Blonde or Highway 61 Revisited, it was a little bit more... Um, veiled on what he was talking about and i was very very interested in that because it just felt so endless on what it could mean even though i know that there was one right answer and he never really i don't think he ever really talked about what his stuff was about so he kind of kept it a mystery i like songs like that too but you know it makes me think we had um we had a, a professional producer promoter i guess on the show one time that we were kind of talking about one of the songs you wrote neil that you know you'd written a song that was intentionally written to kind of be interpreted by the listener. Mm -hmm. And that person's advice was, yeah, this song has a lot of potential, but I think you need to, you know, clear up what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, to appreciate where she, well, that person was coming from, you know, they're in the country, they're in a very commercial industry. Yeah. So they're in the to, business. Yeah. They're in the business. They are, you know, in, and, and, doing well in the business and 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 so it, it, she's definitely correct but what makes kind of like what we talked about the other night what makes what makes things correct what makes things why yeah, was, I, would, I don't know if correct would be the right word yeah, and why was like like bob dylan you know there are a lot of people that listen to bob dylan one time and and they're like you can throw everything he's done in the garbage he's because they don't they like his, his voice they yeah. hate his voice and they can't get past it and that's it and and well, not, I mean, think about the percentage of people that can hate you and, and hate your voice and hate you, but you have that percentage that love mm -hmm. everything oh, you yeah. do. What Polarizing. makes that, you know, it just depends what people are drawn to. I say you're doing something right at that point. Yeah. You're, we're not, I'm not making elevator music for everyone to be, in, to enjoy it and, yeah. Or, yeah. or for it to be pleasing to everybody's ears. It's, and that's definitely how I am now. I'm po pretty polarizing wherever I go. Somebody's, yeah rocking out and somebody is walking out yeah. so <laughs> people either move towards the stage or leave huh? yeah for sure oh man that's probably that's, that's uh, awesome that's yeah. probably um that's probably a good thing 
Yeah. It probably is. It makes it quick, quick and easy. You know who's in, you know who's out. There's no in-betweeners. Uh, and it, I think that draws people in. Yeah. Definitely. That was hard for me to understand and believe when I was 20, 21, like starting to play out and everything. It was very hard. So but that started now, at 20 or 21, huh? Yeah, when I started being out playing, I would... God um, dang. So that. you went from just learning how to play and loving, I mean, like really, like you said, really digging in yeah. to almost playing out in fairly like, soon. In like two years. Um, yeah, that's now, a quick like jump. I, like I said, I knew like, I had like a beginner's book and I'd learned like the four chords and everything, but I didn't, I couldn't play a song for anybody or anything. Don't count. But yeah, it's uh, when I actually started going for it, I would say it was, yeah, right around my sophomore year of college. Were you playing now. solo then? So I st started off catching up to my friends. So my friends all could play guitar. One guy played in church. One guy uh, was raised on music and knew everything. The guy that I took all of his... These guys were all on the podcast, weren't they? <laughs> <laughs> one guy, the guy that I took all of, all of his music from... Um, freshman year uh he's the one that kind of knew everything and they all knew how to play and they started wanting to play mm. and i knew a little bit and it was kind of like okay well i'll play guitar i'll play back of guitar jeff you and i don't know if either of you bass players but the ultimate diss and jeff you play bass yes who's been playing bass all <laughs> over the last few weeks that's one thing we've learned over feels, this podcast bro. about 80 percent of bass players became bass players by default the uh -huh. band just needed a bass player but there's there's either two things that happen. They either stick with it, and then they're like, it, it, it was more natural, or they're a better guitar player for it when they actually do play guitar. Oh, Did I you? I was like, get me off this thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it wasn't it, for me. It, the jump kind of makes sense now, you know, because when you're talking about uh, all your friends that played, uh -huh. if you jump in with you know three other guys that have played, your leap is going to be. A lot quicker than it would be if you. Were oh, I got to learn just, from them. Oh, yeah. dude, I could imagine the lessons in those couple of years that you learned just about timing and and just the little bitty intricacies of playing. Yeah, guitar and even if it's you know just rhythm, so many things you can do as a rhythm guitar player and mm -hmm. learn as a rhythm guitar player and the changes and the different positions you can play from. So I can imagine that 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 had a big part of why you were able to play out in a couple of years being around dudes that played. Yeah, that, that had to have been it. Because I've never taken real lessons with guitar, but I just kind of hung around with friends and kind of learned, mm -hmm. learned from them and everything like that. Where'd you go to school? U of L. Okay. Yeah. Go cards. And what, what were you playing during that time when you'd play out? So I started an open mic at Stevie Ray's. All right. And um, actually, my first night went really well, and it was all downhill from there. It was... Uh, <laughs> but, um, but then after a while, I met this guy who would play there a lot. His name was Taylor Walling. And they played around town. They were called the Wallings Jr. And he was the nicest guy in the world. A few years older than me. And he kind of took me, uh, he kind of, I, I kind of went and played alone and was kind of watching and like trying to appreciate it. But he's like, kind of took me under his wing and tried to teach me stuff. He got me in touch with a guy who was a promoter. So I played mostly acoustic stuff at that time. And I played at the... Um, um, I played like at a bare nose once. I played at the monkey wrench at one point before oh, that thing closed right, down. Man. That yeah. was a great spot. There was a there was a place over in Jeffersonville that was a cigar bar slash bourbon bar that I played at a couple times. Um, and then a place that became Haymarket Whiskey Bar what used to be called Derby City Espresso. I played there a couple yeah. times. Um, but that's what I was doing, but not very many repeat gigs. And then it just kind of dried up over time. So what did the young Zeno Jones look like on those? So were you playing pretty straightforward acoustic guitar and, and songs, cover songs or original songs? Oh, uh, so I stubbornly was originals only. All right. That's <laughs> which okay. Is, which is uh, something that did, but I was also playing, I was trying to play very old. I had gotten into more and more older and older music and I was playing very old blues music. Okay. And, um, I thought it was a cool vibe. I thought it would kind of hit with some people and certain things, but I didn't really know how to do it very well. Um, like creating the vibe and everything. Um, and uh, yeah, it just didn't really resonate. So gigs started drying up over time. Well, man, you got it now. Man, yeah. Well, dude, it was just uh, <laughs> the best that's bravery that's a, to, to put yourself out there and be like, dude, I'm going to play original old school blues in or out. 
That's that. That's just shocking. I, I don't know why, but that's just, <laughs> just to be that early into it uh-huh. and stick to your guns. I would call it delusional. Well, they call Kanye delusional. It's, and look at it. No, I'm just kidding. It, it is. It is kind of. I, I don't think it's delusional. I think it's uh, courageous. And and it's to to be that young and to not be like I'm going to play everything else that everybody else is playing so I can get back in these bars and make money and blah, 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 blah. When in the long run, those, those type of gigs aren't going to help you do what you want to do or do any mm-hmm. of that stuff. But it's so easy to do that. You know, it's so, it's so, so easy to fall in that trap of just, you know, play the music, play the covers people want to hear and try get to the jobs and try to sneak in an original every, yeah. every now and again, <laughs> uh, you know? Yeah. 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 But that's, I mean, it it might have been delusional, brave, whatever you want to call it, but it, but it was it was very hard to do. And I eventually it got so hard that it was. I mean, I put myself out there every time I played, and I got I got told that in Memphis uh, last month when we were down there. Someone's like, "Man, you really leave it all out there," which is which is what he was saying instead of "good job," and uh, <laughs> because like I said, I'm polarizing, and um, <laughs> and I I hung it up, and I didn't even touch a guitar for like nine years after that, like from 22 until like the middle of 2020 or when I was 22. So for like nine, eight, nine years, I was, oh, wow. I just gave it up. Yeah. We'll have to hear more about that, but I want to, I want to play a song. Then we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Cool. Let's uh, talk. Tell us about cold beverage, Stonewater blues. Uh, this is a song that uh, my buddy Jared and I wrote together. Uh, he was, uh, we were living together in Lexington. He was learning. Uh, what was he trying to learn? Uh, it was some Led Zeppelin song where they do the slide, maybe in my time of dying. And uh, he was doing that and he was playing some riff and he was kind of learning it. It was very early in him learning it. He was just learning guitar as well and he was doing it wrong. And I, <laughs> I'm i like, play that again. And he played it and he made up this riff and then I took it and made it very fast. And um, yeah, then then kind of made this song about it. It's also, there's a couple of parts in there I stole from a guy um, who went by Get Fiddle Jim at one point, very, very old, where he goes kind of crazy with this slide really high up on the neck, and he just kind of goes out of control for a little bit. Um, I really like that, so I wanted to put something in a song that was just that move. So I unabashedly stole that um, and put that in there. Nice. All right, let's check it out. I just recorded that um, uh, back in November. And you uh, wrote it years ago? Oh, yeah. That song's like 10, 12 years old. So 10, 12 years old, you're still playing music. What happens where you put everything up, just dis- got completely discouraged? Yeah, because yeah, you yeah, started playing absolutely. it. So if I if I was following your timeline, you started playing at 20. Mm-hmm. And you ended up going down the, the old school blues route and mm-hmm. kind of polarizing or whatever you want to say. And then, so two years later, you said no more. Is that right? Uh, yeah, basically. Two, oh. two yeah. three years. And by like the that. way, you know, when I was, <laughs> you talk old school blues, when I hear that song, I have the image in my head of like an old black and white video of 
you know, some old timer just mm-hmm. hammering no. down. Yeah. I was thinking about the movie The Jerk. <laughs> <laughs> what part of the movie The Jerk? Uh, when he gets his rhythm. Steve Martin gets oh. his rhythm. <laughs> Mama, I got the rhythm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. Are they thinking he hates these cans? I don't know why I thought that was what it was. <laughs> Naven Johnson. <laughs> so, yeah. So, was this something that at 22, was this something that was slowly happening over time or was there an event or? Um, well, I had a few bad gigs in a row um, where like the room kind of cleared out, you know? And um, and that was, like I said, I was like, I was pretty young and I was just starting into it and I was, you know, doing it by myself. And that's pretty discouraging. So, um, and I then there imagine, was, yeah. and then there was also when I started, there's, um, there's a society called the Kentuckiana Blues Society. Mm-hmm. They hold a contest every year about blues playing. And the first year I entered and I played, I got last place. So... How did they tell you you got last place? I, here's first uh, three. And by the way, Zeno, you got last. <laughs> they didn't announce it. They they sent you your score because they always say they're going to send you your scores because they have professional feedback. But they it does say your place and I got last place. And... Um, Mother... That, that's now rough. That, now that was very early on in me playing. You know, that might have been my first year. So I went back my third year oh. and I went again. And I got last place again. So that was that was two years apart. And that was kind of the final straw where I'm just like, okay, even even the even my people, you know, the blue society doesn't like it. So what was this professional just, feedback? Um, it's too loud. It's not you're a lot of people, a lot of people that listen to older blues music. So I what I just did there in that song we just listened to is sacrilegious. Where I where I, you know, put a ton of distortion on it and I'm going kind of crazy and then um, you know, they're like, well, that's not what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a smooth, you know, kind of old, it's supposed to be acoustic, things like that. And I got kind of, by the time I did it the second time I was playing electric, I kind of found that I liked that sound better. And, um, yeah, they just didn't like it. They didn't like my choices. Well, well, we need to call the Kentucky Blues Society. They need to change that. You well, know, they're like, get off my lawn. Hey, how about just telling the who's the top five? Come on. Well, well, yeah. well. The thing, well, again, they they didn't they didn't embarrass me in front of everybody, but they did. But I mean, I I entered that same contest last year. Why couldn't they just put "Don't give up"? Not last. But uh, I entered that last year and I won. <laughs> oh yeah. Come on, Kentucky Blue Society. What's up? <laughs> so twenty twenty coming around. Twenty twenty one. Yeah, that was twenty twenty one. Okay. Dude, see, yeah. well, congratulations, number Thank one, and, uh, for not giving up. But God dang, man. So when did, did you did you ever want to reach out to, and find out who got last uh place this year so you could be like, I just want you to know. <laughs> Just try twice, quit for nine years, and come back. (laughs) There is a recipe to come. Yeah, now you know the recipe. See you in 11 years, kid. Now I did. Now I did. You you get the feedback. And I had one person at one point reach out to me. They said, we got into a fight over you. And there's, and one, and I was, one person said, I mean, an argument, of course. I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe someone threw hands, but (laughs) they, they were like, no, this guy is first. This is the guy. And there's like, no, he's terrible. And so, like I said, that polarizing thing, one person says, and they felt the need to reach out to me on Facebook and apologize for the other people. It was, it was pretty neat. Yeah. But I mean, but the Blue Society, I mean, it's fun to joke because I got last place and I was doing that to kind of cope with myself. But there, there were some, there were criticism in there too. Like you need to stay in time. You need to, you know, I kind of would learn from it, but I was too young and I, I didn't want to listen to, to, to kind of that feedback because enough people had told me that I was pretty good that I was like, okay, I know I'm good. These people don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. But they absolutely do. <laughs> and they, um, and so when I got old enough to kind of think about that and consider, like I said, what I was putting out and the way I was kind of putting it out um, a little bit more, kind of taking that into consideration, I think is when I got better. Was, you know? was the uh, Kentucky Blues Society contest your first venture back into music after this long period off? Yeah. So I, so like I didn't play for a long time. And so I met my wife and she didn't even, she knew I had guitars cause they were all around. I have like five or six that are all around. Um, but I never really played them. And then at one point I started picking up playing. And then at one point I was playing with my buddy again in our, in our old band. And it just kind of got more and more. And I said, hey, by the way, I'm going to enter this contest. It's like a month out. And she's like, okay. 
And so I end up doing it. I have to like cut some demos in our bedroom uh, to enter it. And I go in and do it. And then I, I like to say I accidentally won because my whole goal was I was just like going to conquer this demon that had been over me. I'm just like, I'm not going to get last place. You know, second to last place is the bar. That's what I'm going in to do. <laughs> yeah. You know, because I was enjoying playing by myself. Uh, again, I had picked it up and I was just like, I really like this. I'm not, I don't want to, I almost didn't because I didn't want to ruin, you know, enjoying yeah. playing for myself by having a bad outing. But I'm like, no, I got to be a little bit brave and go out there and do it in front of somebody. But then I won and then they sent me down to Memphis this year um, as like the, the continuation of that. And I was, people would ask and I'd say, I'm accidentally here. I didn't, <laughs> I just wanted to not get last. <clears throat> so how did that go when you were in Memphis? Memphis right. went pretty well. Um, you I didn't made get it to last, this. did you? I did not get last. Hey, I made it to the semifinals. Hey, what's up? I made it to the semifinals. Okay. And they were like 20. It starts off with like 200 acts or something like that. Oh, and then wow. and they're they're there from winning something yeah, like yeah. what you did. So I mean it's like And at the end there's 20 solos and 20 <sighs> bands. And I was one of 20 in the quarterfinals. Oh, or, or semi semifinals. Sorry. Congratulations, Congrats, man. Appreciate man. It. That's huge. Appreciate it. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, it, that that means actually it probably means a ton to you because it means People are catching up. Sometimes I think that's what it takes. You know, I really do. I think sometimes you, you can be a little bit ahead of where everybody else is. And I think people that have a vision and that stick with it a lot like you did when you were young, although you did walk away, mm. you didn't change. I, it doesn't seem like you've changed a ton of what you were doing then to what you're doing now because I, if you wrote that mm -hmm. when you were young. That's the one I play. That's kind of my main song. Was that, I play that out now. did you play that yeah. for Kentucky Blues Society in yes. Memphis? <laughs> yeah, 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 I did. So when did you uh, when did you pick up the suitcase drums? Um, that was when. So I was playing with my buddy, whose uh, songs we'll hear a little later. Um, and I asked him to do this contest with me. And he doesn't have. He's not really a drummer. He plays drums with me. You know, he would he would admit. I'm like, hey, did you practice? He's like, dude, I don't practice. We just we just play when we play with each other. <laughs> he likes to keep it punk rock, I guess. And um, and so I asked him to do this. He's like, ah, dude, I don't know if I want to commit to that. You know, because we got to do it at this time. He's he, you know, he he works a lot. He has a cool job, and he's kind of busy with it a lot. So he has to cancel practice a lot. So I said, okay, fine, I'll do it myself. And then I had followed a guy. Um, Back when I was playing, it was about 10 years ago, and I don't know if he plays anymore, but his name is Reverend Deadeye. And I saw him at the Green Lantern in Lexington. And then I saw him once when he came here to Louisville. And he played by himself. He had, I mean, he was a true one-man band, but he mm -hmm. was, my God, he was wild. It was, it was almost a religious experience to <laughs> see it for me. And he kind of put us on this, I don't know if it's a show that he puts it on that he's a preacher or if he actually is. I don't know. He, um, but it's, it was such a cool thing and I loved seeing that and I was just like, oh, I want to kind of do a little bit like that and keep that rhythm. Um, and I was learning more and more about like rhythm stuff as opposed to trying to be um, what a lot of blues society, a lot of blues players are as a failed Jimi Hendrix. Mm -hmm. um, you know, once I kind of gave that up and was like, okay, I really want to be good at rhythm now and kind of drive that home and kind of find that groove and hit it. Um, that's kind of what I wanted to do and that's how it kind of evolved into that. Mm. And you built that, yeah, that kit. Yeah, I just went to an antique store, found a couple. I have two suitcases. I have one that I practice with because it really wears really quickly. It's all it almost has a hole in it, and then I have one that I use for shows. It's a little bigger, has a deeper sound. <laughs> Honey, have you seen my show suitcase? <laughs> <laughs> so, can you put all your stuff in there and then just travel? Yeah, yeah. Then, so everything's in the suitcase. Yeah, everything's in it. Yeah, yeah that's cool. I'm, I'm anxious to see that on one shot. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. Oh, do you have the whole setup? We're doing the whole setup, right? Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, you know, you're 20 years old. You decide you want to play old school blues. Then you decide that I'm going to blow out the guitar and distort the hell out of it. And, and then I'm going to play a suitcase. And yeah, people are leaving my shows, but I'm also <laughs> having people telling me they like, I mean, what, what is it in you that just made you stay on that road? Uh, stubbornness. I don't know. It's, uh, <laughs> I mean, I like what I play. I mean, I, I would always say, again, I was going to this contest. Like, I just want to kind of get this off, get this monkey off my back and be done with it. But then I was at home playing these songs. I'm like, man, I really like that. That was a lot of fun. And I was having a lot of fun playing, which I hadn't done in like almost 10 years. So that's kind of what I do. And every song that I play, I have fun playing. And yeah. um, 
sometimes I kind of forget that I've done, I have to have a set list because I'll forget that I've played certain songs because it just kind of goes out of mind. And I'm, I kind of, like that one guy said, I leave it all out there and I kind of forget where I am a little bit. And if I'm doing that, I'm having a really good time and it's almost, I don't know, it's almost like a meditation or like a therapy or something like that. I come out of it very clear headed and I, um, that's kind of what I'm going for. And if people like it, people invite me back, which they've been doing lately, then I'm doing well. So. Nice. Yeah. Cool that you stuck with it and cool that you went back to where you decided to quit. <laughs> last place and ended up getting first on your first event back and then got to go to Memphis. And I'm sure that was pretty, pretty cool. Uh, oh, it was cool. Yeah. Pretty was, cool experience, wasn't it? Getting to play down on Beale Street was yeah. a lot of fun. It was really busy. It was, um, it was it was a really cool experience. Yeah, I mean, met a lot of great players, really cool guys down there too. Oh, I could imagine. Does dude. this? Yeah, does this contest happen like at different uh, venues on Bill Street, or is it all in one place, or it's, what's it look like? It's supposed to. You're supposed to be moved around to different venues, so it's all up and down Beale, and like all of them are taken up, and everyone gets like a 25 minute spot, and you kind of rotate in and out. Um, though I, for some reason, was stuck at Jerry Lawler's place, which is hmm. an old wrestling guy, right? Yeah. And I the was king. at his I was at his place both <laughs> days of my quarterfinal. And then I went on to the semifinal and they put me there again. I'm like, okay, I'm playing at the one non-blues place at this place. <laughs> but it was a really cool spot and it was, it was, I really I really liked it. But I was like, I couldn't play at like BB King's place or something like that. <laughs> it was we went there for lunch. It was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Let's listen to another tune. Tell us about Street Sweeper. Uh Street Sweeper is probably the first song I wrote when I got back into playing. Um, this one I wrote for my buddy and I, um, to play in our band called cold beverage. So this is one that we would play out a lot and we'd have the same kind of deal, um, where someone would love us. A lot of few people would walk out. Actually, they'd probably back up cause we played too loud. Um, <laughs> but this is one that we played coming back and it was, we, we were practicing just kind of for fun and we really got into it, this song. And then afterwards this day of practice, we're like, we should make an album. So this kind of is the song that kind of brought us back. All right, nice. cool. Got some uh, definitely. You wrote down white stripes. Yeah, that kind of gets the white stripes feel. It's got a oh for sure. Yeah, it's yeah. got a well. I'm sure you hear that a lot, but mm. it's also got like this punk flavor to it. I don't know if you ever listen to punk when you. Oh, yeah. uh, the drummer doesn't practice. 
Yeah. I'm telling you, though. That's, that's true. Yeah. That's true. No, it does. But but, yeah. There's definitely White Stripes in there. It's to the, I mean, I was listening to White Stripes um, all throughout the time. That, you know, actually, people would also say, you guys are doing like a Black Keys thing because it's just two yeah. of us. You know, it's, yeah. a, it's a duo, guitar and drum. Yeah. And it's to the point where I'm just like, okay, I can't listen to the Black Keys because I already rip off the White Stripes enough. I've got to stop <laughs> listening to the Black Keys. So one no. thing that did happen when I quit playing music was I was able to start listening to the Black Keys, which well, was small consolation. It, it wouldn't have mattered. You could play just like the Black Keys. If your drummer's not going to practice, y'all couldn't sound like the Black Keys. Y'all definitely sound like the White Stripes and not the Black Keys. <laughs> But I love his his drumming style because basically mm -hmm. yeah. him and I... It's free. It's all about us having fun. Yeah. And Jordan, I said, if you aren't having fun, I don't want to play it. So he's like at the beginning of that song, he's just like tapping on his... like He's he's trying to annoy me basically while I'm playing. <laughs> he's trying to get me to laugh and mess up while we're doing a take. And you know, it's a live take. So if we screw up, we got to start over. And... um. And I don't know, it's it's a ton of fun. And he'll put in these, he'll put in these fills or just kind of in these stops and everything that just like, it, I don't know, we really like try to just kind of amp each other up as we mm -hmm. play it, and he really can do it. He's 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 one of my favorite drummers to yeah, listen I like to. Style no, too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, did you add a bass player, you'll stop getting a lot of compare. If you added a bass player to that recording, you yeah. you wouldn't get as many comparisons. Mm -hmm. You might get no comparisons because it's definitely cool. Uh the song itself is cool. Like the mm -hmm. style is cool. That's a, I, I dig it. I, sure. I don't mind the comparisons. That's fine. Yeah. No, it's always good. It's always good. Jack White's new album so amazing. It's amazing. I just had to say that. I don't know if anybody's listened to it or not. If you could listen to it. Which one? There's one coming out next month, right? Not that one, yes. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 oh, okay. I was dude. wondering if you somehow listen to that one. No. Now, but no, that one's really good. No, I can't imagine what this next one's going to sound like. I was upset when the White Stripes broke up, but he's been doing pretty good stuff on his own. So, yeah, he is. so yeah. he's, he's, we listened to a few of the songs the other night. Yeah. He's uh -huh. just yeah. an original thinker, dude. Mm -hmm. he, he's yeah. awesome. Creative, super right. creative. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I was just going to ask, you know, we've been talking about, and he, you've kind of mentioned just, uh, you know, broadly and in general, people either really getting into your stuff or really not liking it. Yeah. What stands out is that gig that was just terrible. Um, it was my last one. So, like I said, I had this promoter who would who would prom who would kind of line me up some stuff for some solo stuff, and that dried up after a while. And then I had one that popped up where we need to fill in, right? And I said, okay, well, I'll do it, but I'm doing it with my band. And it was at the Rudyard Kipling um, before that closed down, and um, so I don't know. The guy did not know what my band did, and I I kind of. I, it wasn't a cool move by me, but I'm just like, okay, I want to play, but I'm playing with my buddy. We're called Cold Beverage. He's like, okay, that's fine, whatever. So I was playing acoustic stuff. I was pretty aggressive in my acoustic, but it was still that level. And then we went in there and we like tried to tear the paint off the walls with our sound. <laughs> I mean, we were going nuts. And there were a few people that really didn't like it. But then, of course, the bartender back there was just jamming to it. And he like talked to us like 20 minutes after. Like we couldn't clean up our stuff because he was just talking with us. He loved it. But that was... A really rough one, and then we kind of got, uh, I got chewed out a little bit for for doing that um, because that's not what they were expecting from the and, promoter. Uh, from yeah, the promoter, yeah. and um, but I was kind of done at that point anyway. Um, I don't know. That was kind of a that was kind of a last gasp or anything like that. Yeah. One time we played. One time we played at Phoenix Hill Tavern, and it was. Um, Gosh, it was a big empty room. <laughs> and that's on, it's on hard the main to do. stage yeah. or yeah. on the side main yeah. stage. Yeah. Side, main stage. I thought they put us on the side one, but they put us in the main and that big it was garden room. Mm -hmm. Dude. When that room's empty, it looks empty. Yeah. Oh, it did. It's yeah, it did. also gone. Yeah, that's <laughs> Well, we played, we like to say we played in a lot of places and we're really sorry, but they tore them down after, like, <laughs> after what happened there with us playing. They're just like, all right, we're done. We're packing up. Roger Kipling, gone. Phoenix Hill, gone. Monkey Ranch. Monkey gone. Ranch, gone. <laughs> sorry, guys. So you mentioned breaking into a church. Tell us that story. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so when we first, when we first wanted to start playing all my friends, you know, when I was relegated to bass at the time, uh, we uh, wanted to play somewhere and we didn't really have a place to do it. And our buddy played at his church. And so he got tentative permission from one person there who didn't have like the ultimate authority, but there's like, yeah, man, you can do it. It's fine. And I mean, we're 20. So they're like, whatever we can do to keep you guys from out drinking and stuff like that. There's like, take care of the place, take pictures of it, put it exactly like it was. Um, so we went and we had permission and we were going to get a key. 
But the day came and we had no key. And my brother was like, it's fine. Someone leaves the door unlocked. We'll just go. It's, it's fine. It's kind of a chill place. Well, of course, we get there and every door was locked. So he's like, okay, well, you can pull really hard on one of the doors and it'll come unjammed and it wouldn't, it wouldn't come undone. So we were going to leave, but one of our friends had come into town um, and we're just like, we've got to find a way to get in. So we walked around and checked the doors one more time and a friend noticed there was a, there was a vent in the back. And this is, it sounds like I'm making this up. <laughs> but it was like, so it's like this, I think it's a Baptist church where they have like the pool on the stage where if they do a baptism, they will drop somebody all the way. They will fully uh -huh. immerse them, right? Yeah. So under there, I guess they have to have airflow so it doesn't get all moldy and everything like that. So they just had an open vent to under their stage. And we used like a guitar pick or like a coin on a flat, like a flathead screwdriver, undid that, crawled in there. <laughs> and we were under the stage. And then finally someone found a panel that was loose and pushed up through it. And we went in there. And that was like at 11 o'clock at night. And we stayed there till like four in the morning playing music. Playing music. Yeah. Eventually we did get it. We did back, go back a bunch of times and we had to, we had to enter the same way because we didn't have our key yet. But eventually we did get a key. Because <laughs> uh, we, like I said, we had permission, but we did have to break in almost like a, like a crappy spy movie. <laughs> so did you ever confess to the priest or the preacher or pastor? Uh, they knew, they knew we did it. <laughs> they knew. <laughs> Listen, all we did was play uh, uh, Give Thanks over and over again. <laughs> and we, we did it for, but we did it for five hours. And three, then we prayed three left. Times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give thanks with a grateful heart. You don't know that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we played Last Dance with Mary Jane and Cumbersome. And I'm trying to think go. of the other songs that we were playing at that time. <laughs> so were you guys like in the uh, sanctuary? Uh, it was kind of more of a modern church. You know, okay. Kind of those ones with a... If there wasn't a service there, it just looked like a big building. Like almost oh like an empty yeah. amphitheater. Almost. Yeah. So, yeah. Zeno, our uh, listeners that want to follow you a little more closely, come see you in some shows, get, get your music, where can they find you? Um, I have a website that is xenojones.com or um, my handles on Facebook and Instagram are Zeno J. Jones. Someone took Zeno Jones. Or, or I didn't 10 years ago when I was Your middle name so, Jeffrey? No, it's my, uh, that's my first name. Zeno's uh, stage name. It's uh, my great-grandfather's oh, great uh, name, yeah. That's right. I, I was just sitting in here uh, one drinking, going, his first name Zeno. That's <laughs> 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 how good I am at this. But yeah, uh, Zenojones.com has, like, the first thing you see are just links to kind of follow. And I have some shows coming up at um, Old Louisville Brewery and Gravely, um, Frankfurt Avenue Liquors. Or some places I have in the next couple of months. Nice, nice. And you'll soon have some one-shot videos. Oh, on yeah. YouTube. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's what we're gonna get doing next. That's a good. That's a good time. But we're gonna go. That's a good time. Yeah. We're gonna go out with Black Glass Blues. Tell us about that one. Uh, Black Glass Blues is a song that we've never played out live. This is something we made right before I, I cut an album um, with that guy I mentioned, Taylor. Taylor Walling, who was, uh, he helped me get in touch with this guy to do this album. But I did it at the very end of when I was playing. I never distributed or did anything with it. And in there, we, we snuck in Black Glass Blues, uh, which is a song kind of built off of a Mississippi Fred McDowell riff, um, where he kind of, where he kind of uses his slide and everything like that. It's, who it was one of my favorite um, players. And like I said, this is one of the last ones we wrote before I kind of hung it up. And, uh, but it's kind of the song that we would kind of, my, Buddy Jared and I would both kind of identify as a cold beverage or Zeno Jones song. This is this is it. Nice. All right. Well, Zeno, thanks for talking with us, man. We've Absolutely. enjoyed it. Thank you. Black Glass Blues. Well, I'm running to the ocean low. Someone told me it was dead Yeah, I got 12 grand in a stovepipe, babe Twisting underneath my bed
gonna walk on water Well you better be talking to your own beat Draw a bath, babe. But you can only wet your feet. Can't even lift up my shoes. 